Christchurch, New Malden, 13th of October 2019, 6.30 service. Nathan Larkin speaking on Understanding the Covenant and Jesus. I wonder, have you ever had to really wait a long time for something? I'm sure you have. We all have at some stage or another. But what about, have you ever really waited a long time for something and got it, only to discover that it wasn't quite what you expected? <laughs> I thought there was hilarious. You should check this out on the internet. Search for kind of misleading holiday photographs. You see some very, very funny ones. This is just one of them. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than waiting for something and it not being what you expected. Perhaps it's something that you've been praying for. Maybe it's something that you were absolutely convinced would make a really big difference to you. In fact, maybe you'd convinced yourself that if only you could get this thing, whatever it is, that everything else would work out. We might feel that way about a new job. Perhaps we think that changing jobs will fix everything. Perhaps we think that if we could just get into a bigger house, that all of the problems we have at home would be so much easier. But what happens when the thing that we hope for either doesn't come or it comes in a way that we just didn't have in mind? I think I might have shared this story with you guys before, a story about my friend called Robin. So sorry if you've heard it before. But Robin was a friend of mine when I was a teenager and he became a Christian as a teenager. And his parents didn't really approve of the fact he'd become a Christian. So when he decided that summer that he wanted to go on a mission team, it was going to cost about £200, he just knew that he wasn't going to get any support at all from his parents. They weren't going to help him to pay for it in any way. But he decided that this was a good thing. This was something that he, he should do and that, that God would therefore want him to do it. And so he began to pray, feeling confident that God would provide the £200 that he needed somehow. He prayed for weeks and he was certain that this money was going to come. When one day, just actually as he had finished praying, there was a knock on the door and it was one of his other friends. He said, hey, Robin, uh, do you still have that new PlayStation? Of course, Robin replied, do you want to come in and play? No, 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 his friend responded, I, I was wondering if you might be interested in selling it to me. You see, the thought had never occurred to Robin, if he was honest, but out of intrigue, he asked, well, how much are you willing to pay? To which his friend answered, 200 pounds. You see, things don't always turn out the way that we've pictured, not exactly the way we've pictured. But sometimes we get the things that we want but it's not what we expected. Sometimes we don't get the things that we want, and actually we're really glad that we didn't get them in the end. Sometimes, in fact, I maybe even say most of the time, our prayers are answered, but not in the way we expect. And it can be really easy to miss it in the midst of all of our own expectations. Perhaps if Robin was praying with a certain picture in his mind of what the answered prayer would look like, Maybe he was thinking um, he was going to receive an anonymous £200 through the letterbox, or he was going to have a mysterious benefactor at church who just wanted to pay for the mission for him. Well, then, if that had happened, it would have been easy to say, yes, that was obviously an answer to prayer. But if he was really expecting it to happen exactly like that, then perhaps he would have missed the answer that was right in front of him and simply said, thanks, but I wasn't planning on selling. Fortunately... The answer to his prayers did come, but again, it just it didn't look like he expected it to. 
Now, I begin that way because that's a little bit like what was going on at the time of Jesus. Stephen spoke last week about some of the different religious approaches that the Jews and their leaders had in their sort of understanding of how to live out and to wait um, and to practice this sort of covenant living. Each of these groups had very different ideas, but what I think is really interesting is that even though they were really different, their end game, their expectation, was all basically the same. They all, more or less, agreed on what the coming Messiah would look like. What the one who had been prophesied to come and complete God's covenantal promises, what he would do. You see, let's look again at those covenants that we've been spending so much time on over these weeks and see what they understood them as. Here they are. With Noah, God promised that he was committed to his creation and he didn't ask for anything in return. With Abraham, God promised that if he trusted and followed him, that he would make them into a great people and that they'd be a blessing to the nations. With Israel, through Moses, God promised to give them a land of their own and asked that they follow the laws that he'd given them in the hope that they would be an example to all the nations. And with David, God promised that he would give them a line of kings that would last forever and asked that they remain faithful to him in return. But you see, there was just one big problem with all of these covenants, and it was that the Israelites were completely incapable of keeping their end of the bargain. Time and time again, the Israelites failed to live up to their promises and had to bear the consequences. Time and time again, they turned away from God and followed idols. And time and time again, they failed to trust in him to provide, and they decided to choose their own path instead. And you see, by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, we see just how wide these fractures have become. There's, it's a story desperate for an ending, the Old Testament. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, we see the Israelites. Yes, they're back in their land, but not really the way they hoped, not really the way they expected. They're ruled by the Romans, and certainly not by the kind of king that they're expecting. So there's a lot waiting still to be finished. It's incomplete. It's a story needing an ending. But the interesting thing is that for all of these groups, the ending that they were expecting was basically the same. If the problem was that their land was not their own and they didn't have a king, then the answer was that a king would rise up, someone from the line of David, as had been predicted, but a mighty warrior, someone who would get rid of the Romans, win them back their land and reestablish his throne in David's line. But to them, understandably, Jesus didn't meet any of these expectations. And you see, because they had such a clear picture of what was best for them, many of them missed the fact that God had something 10 times better, Jesus. Yes, this is what it's all been building up to. Jesus is the surprising, yes, but the climax to all of the covenant story. But for some, he wasn't the answer they expected. Jesus stood in stark contrast to so much of what they thought the Messiah should be. He didn't promote violence, but instead taught that his listeners should love their enemies and that they should submit to authorities. 
He rejected the people's efforts to make him a king, and instead he taught that his kingdom wasn't of this world. So how did he do it? If it wasn't their way, how did Jesus fulfill the covenant? Well, the truth is that he, God himself, made human, was the only way that the covenant was ever going to be fulfilled. The Gospels all claim the same thing, and that's that Jesus, he is Israel's God, become human to fulfill both God's part of the covenant and Israel's part. And that's the only way God was going to see the covenant fulfilled was by being both. The New Testament presents Jesus as the offspring of Abraham. In fact, in Matthew, it begins with this lineage that traces Jesus from Abraham all the way down. But the difference is he, unlike Abraham, trusted his father always, even to the point of death, and so became a blessing to all nations. He is an obedient Israelite who perfectly kept, fulfilled, and therefore transcended the law of God. He is the royal son of David, who inaugurated God's kingdom in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And he now sits at God's right hand, reigning as a shepherd king over the earth, and will continue to reign forever in the new creation. See, I think if you think about it, Jesus perfectly succeeded at every point that humans have failed in the story. Because Jesus is God's love perfectly personified in a human life. And what I came to realize when, when preparing this, and it was really a bit of a breakthrough for me, was to see that Jesus was this sort of complete faithful reenactment of Israel and their story. He's like the new Israel in himself. It's not a coincidence that his ministry seems to almost mimic the Old Testament story. We heard about his baptism, read there. He's baptized as a reference to the children of Israel marching through the Red Sea. We heard about his temptations. The children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert dealing with temptations and failing time and time again. Jesus spent 40 days being tempted but succeeded. He called 12, not 11, not 13, but 12 disciples, just like the tribes of Israel, because through his life, death, and resurrection, he's remaking Israel in a new way. And it's not by mistake that Jesus ascends a mountain and teaches, and he reshapes and reframes the law that Israel had themselves received on Mount Sinai. None of this is a coincidence. What was happening is that through Jesus, he's literally reenacting Israel's history, but this time with faithfulness. He succeeds in every way they failed. All of their failures are redeemed in him. This Old Testament story is now being completely reenacted. He's putting it all right. Jesus was there to fulfill the covenant promise that that whole Old Testament was about. But again, so many missed it. It might seem obvious to us, but so many missed it because he wasn't what they expected. And when we see it, when we really click that that's what's going on, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is what 
everything points towards. Then the whole of Scripture comes alive. Everything clicks into place. Jesus is what it's always been about. He was always going to be the answer. He always will be the answer. When he was baptized, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended almost in in sort of like bodily form, like a dove upon him. And a voice came down from heaven and it basically said, you're the one that this whole story was foretelling. You're my beloved son and I'm so pleased with you. And those words, it's not a small thing to be called his beloved son and to say that he's pleased. Because you see, God called Adam to be his faithful son. But Adam chose his own way instead. God called Israel to be his faithful son. And Israel chose their own way instead. David, Solomon, and the line of kings, God called son And they chose their own way. God was not pleased. But now God looks at Jesus and says, finally, finally, my one true covenant son who will fulfill all the terms and all of the ramifications of the covenant, finally I'm pleased. One of the most significant and most quoted verses in all of scripture is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Words that are probably very familiar to a lot of us. But when we read it in this light, it's really interesting. John's gospel, it's like a complete rewrite of Adam and Israel's history. Eternal life restored as it should have been in the beginning. Death defeated, it shouldn't have been there. Not through Adam, who was unfaithful, but now through Jesus, his faithful son. But better, now now people from every nation, not just Israel, people from every tribe and tongue who are joined to Jesus in faith are a part of God's covenant family. And they can experience the rich blessings of this new covenant. So if it's so obvious to us that Jesus was the Messiah, who fulfills all of the covenants, then why did so many of those that was talking about at the beginning, why why did they struggle to believe? Let's remind ourselves again what they were anticipating. They were expecting to be finally recognized as God's true special people themselves. They were hoping and praying for the land to be theirs again. And they were fully anticipating a new and mighty king to make this happen and to rule over an earthly kingdom. But you see, what they get with Jesus is totally flipping those expectations on their head. He gets them something so much better than they could have imagined. Instead of God having one special group of people to represent him, He invites all people to follow. And Jesus demonstrates this in his life by the types of people he spends his time with. Instead of them getting a land to themselves, Jesus breaks down every barrier and division. His kingdom isn't like an earthly kingdom that people fight and kill to defend. 
His has an open invitation, and love is the only currency that counts. And instead of an earthly king ruling from a palace, Jesus ascended to sit beside the Father and rule from the heavens instead. Now, to be fair, this was different than they were expecting. But I'm not convinced that that's the only reason they rejected Jesus, because they were expecting something else. I wonder if it was less Jesus not being the fulfillment of the covenant that they expected, and perhaps more that he was not the fulfillment of the covenant that they wanted. You see, if your hope is to be special and to be set apart, if your hope is to have a land of your own, your own king, then perhaps they also rejected Jesus because they didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like that everyone was welcome. They felt somehow devalued by that. They didn't like that land and possessions and power were being described as part of the problem instead of the solution. They thought they knew better. They thought they knew what they needed. And as we finish, I think the really challenging question for us tonight is this. Where do we place ourselves in this story? Are we among those who believed? Those who took up their cross and follow? Those who sold their possessions and shared it with the poor? Because many of those who did believe suffered and in fact many died for the strength of their belief. Their belief that Jesus was the answer to all of life's questions, that nothing mattered more than him. I do wonder if at times we're at risk of falling into the camp of those who struggle to believe. When push comes to shove, I wonder if we're more like those who find it really hard to set aside the really strong narrative of success and put Jesus as king. They had, a, they had a really strong narrative to fight, but we have a really strong narrative to fight against as well. You know, Jesus, when he faces Satan in the desert, it's narrative after narrative after narrative. Satan is saying, this is how you find a way to success. This is how you find fulfillment of life. And Jesus says, no. So may we learn from those who rejected Jesus. May we find strength to reject the false narratives that say money and power and success will in any way lead to fullness of life on their own. Jesus himself said that he is the only way. And may that be our narrative. And may we be willing to embrace God's leading in our lives, even if it's not what we expected.